2: enthusiastically inform you that you are unaccidentally listening to the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey everybody, thank you for joining me on My Rock Moment today. So if you've held the Hotel California, Abbey Road, or Who's Next albums in your hand, you know his work. You know my next guest. His name is John Kosh, but most know him best as just Kosh. Now Kosh is a Grammy Award winning art director and former design director for Apple Records, and he's the creative genius behind a long list of iconic album covers. Kosh joined me on a rainy LA afternoon, which we're getting a lot of these days, to discuss his time working with the Beatles, his longtime friendship with Linda Ronstadt, and the stories behind some of his most well-known work. So let's get into it.
3: Oh, man. I'm
2: lovely to talk to you lovely to talk to you too kosh thank you so much for coming on my rock moment there's a lot to discuss i know you wear many hats but your best known works are the timeless album covers and i'm only listing a few the list is so long and i did go through all of
3: them no, really, i did
2: sheer curiosity <laughs> but I mean everybody knows Hotel California and Abbey Road and let it be and then most people, at least my listeners definitely know Ronstadt's simple dreams and James Taylor's JT and then everybody knows the stones get your yayas yeah, out. So that was about one percent of yeah. what you've done. <laughs> well, the last 10 years, yeah maybe 15 years, you know, vinyl has made such a resurgence. And it's still going strong. And that must be a real interesting feeling for you.
3: Yeah, and the point is, it's what you can see because it's a door and swear, you know. Whereas all we went through, like uh, CDs, cassettes, and whatever else, which, uh, you know, now I, I guess it's downloads. So there's the resurgence that we find, which is overtaking CDs. But I mean, and just one thing is, apart from the artwork, the music sounds better, like, you know, the looks sound.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, this younger crowd, too, and I've said this before in previous episodes, there's something so intimate about the whole album experience. You buy it, you look at the artwork, you open it up, you see the pictures of your, you know, your heroes or this band that you love so much. And then you listen to the music as it was meant to be listened to.
3: Right, and you can read the lyrics, and you can sort of read the yes. line notes, and you can clean your grass. It's folks, Seeds run down. It's <laughs> invented.
2: Exactly, exactly. And you know, there's a reason why you know all these songs were put together, or there's a certain theme to the album. A lot of that I feel like is lost these days. It is lost these days, as people you know search for music on Spotify and they're listening to you know to singles and that's it you right. know a single isn't coming out and then you know it kind of what's your whistle for the album or whatever it is those days are gone
3: okay.
2: well speaking of the the 60s can we go back can we go back to the beginning of it all when you were working on uh, I think it was art and artist magazine
3: yes right I mean I was I was um I actually I actually was working for the role opera as well I mean this is why I still love a good classical music and opera sure. um, I came from there and I was running briefly as the art director of Art and Artist Magazine, because the editor, who was the famous Mario Amaya, decided to run off and run the Venice Biennale and leave me in charge, which is like, Oh my God, I'm now building phone calls from like, the great artists of the world, you know, and that sort of, uh, I, I absorbed that. You know, and I sort of found some new friends. I mean, the great new artists were coming up at the time. And of course, while this is all going on, John and Yoko were doing their primal screen things and whatever else. Yeah. wanted to insert a floppy disk. I I don't know what they called it. It was a sort of big, it's a square plastic piece with a groove cut into it and you put it on your turntable. Okay.
2: uh,
3: um, And they wanted it blown into the magazine. And it was just right on deadline time. Um, and of course you're not gonna say no to John Lennon, you know. So when he phoned me up one night, I did not believe it was him, I thought it was my cohorts putting me on, you know. Uh <laughs> I got the Hammersmith Hospital and knocked on the door of his suite you know, and know, the door and there was John Lennon, and that's why it was started in nineteen sixty-eight. <laughs>
2: 90. And was it normal? Now, you said you were fielding calls from big artists, but was it normal for an artist the size of John Lennon to call you directly and say, um, this is John Lennon? He
3: just said John Lennon, and I'm thinking, who the hell is this? You know, this is the, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, if John wants to call you, he calls you, doesn't he? You know? yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and he away, And I'm designing a magazine. I mean, and when I say... I'm in, in, in charge of the magazine. I am. There's one telephone and one desk in a city little office overlooking Covent Garden in you know, the market. Um, and so there's no one else to pick up the phone. God, <laughs> wow,
2: What a trip. I mean, I guess back then they didn't have the entourage that they do now, doing everything for them.
3: If you think about when I sort of, John, after a few, a few weeks, I would say, well, why don't you just go and join Apple to find yourself a desk? And you'd be sitting in Apple and Paul would Ride. Well, Paul would have arrived on a bus, a London transport bus, you know. He always would drive up in his Rolls Royce and chuck the keys out the window to the scrubs to the who were the local groupies who would be on the doorstep, and they'd go and park his car for him. Can you imagine that happening today? No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, it was very strange. I mean, yeah, but at the time it didn't seem normal. I <laughs> know, I'm 23 years old, you know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a type for a very good designer, and I know print, which is why I was very helpful. Because no one else in, in the Apple organization knew how to design, so that would a paper bag, you know, to, um, all get printed in time. Um, so I just was at the right place at the right time.
1: listen now go to americancriminal.com or search for and follow american criminal wherever you get your podcasts
3: well actually i was sort of working on let it be which called get back at the time um and mary hulkin and mary hulkin and there was um, who else was going on at the time uh, billy Preston, and i was sort of juggling around thinking about things and whatever else but all of a sudden it was Abbey Road and Abbey Road has to, you know, the art has to be delivered two days from now. You, know?
2: you had two days to now. do Abbey Road and you had no idea at that time what the concept would be, what you were shooting, because it was Ian McMillan, right?
3: Ian McMillan was a lovely friend of mine. He was actually one of the OCOs, the closest photographers, And he got the assignment um, and we ended up with 12 pictures on a light box. You know, and I'm like thinking, is this good enough? And, uh, Ian is saying, I don't think this is good enough for Beatles cover, do you? you know? And we're talking about possibly one of the most famous covers in the world. But we didn't know what we, we thought, you know, Paul's out of step and he, you know, that is good. Cool. Um, what are we going to do? You know? And then I decided at the last minute, we're not going to put the name of Beatles on the cover. We're not going to put Abbey Road on the cover. Um, because if you don't know who the Beatles are by now, you'd be living in a cave, you know. And I got into a lot of trouble from EMI and the parent company who are distributing the printing to say that I obviously, um, didn't know what I was doing. And it's, you never, we're never going to sell an album. And I got a sort of a phone call from Sir Joseph Lockwood, yeah. like early one morning. And he's, you know, he had a very, very harsh voice but his infected, it's six pieces were so disgusting. <laughs> it had come me from a posh voice. It really frightened the pants of me, it was too late because I'd already, got, I'd already got the albums on press, you know, it was too late to change it. Um, and uh, I didn't know what to do. And I walked into Apple the uh, very next morning and George was there, and George was there, which is unusual for a beach to be there before 10 o'clock, you know? And I told him what happened, and he said, well, fuck it, the
2: <laughs> they were on board with like no mention of the album name or the Beatles.
3: Yeah, I lost interest actually, I think, because he was working on his own albums, you know. Ringo right. he was making the Magic Christian, whatever else. Was. George was kicking around, and John and Yoko know, co- were in the office around the oh, corner. So, you know.
2: Looking back, did you have any idea? I mean, even the moment it came out, right? You know, people were, there were all these. Conspiracy theories around it, and that it had all these, you know, subliminal messages that Paul was dead, his shoes are off, there's a cop in the background, right. all of that. I mean, you must have just laughed at all that hype.
3: Well, yeah, it was what it sold be beautifully, you know, I mean, um, particularly in America, uh, because of all the rumors going around. Uh, you know, the Paul is dead rumor, of course, was the big one. And Ger- Derek Taylor, uh, the lovely Derek Taylor, the late. Who was, uh, the he, he decided that we should say nothing. So, if anyone asks you if it's really Paul, you have to say something well, like him, you know, something evasive. So, we never confirmed or denied the death of Paul. You know, there's all these rumors, he's got a cigarette in his hand and he disappears. And 28 years on the license plate, you know. Um, so, it just Took off, and, you know. he was the fifth beat in America. I can't remember the, the, the DJ. Now he was on the. He was on. The, I think he was coming out of New York, and he just went crazy over uh, promoting the album. And um, I don't remember the name. Uh, you know, but as soon as we hang up, I'll remember of course. Yeah, of course, you will. Anyway, so that's that's the story behind um, Abbey Road. So I didn't know it was going to cause that fast, and I was just worried about not thinking it was up to scratch. You know.
2: And here you are, this young kid, and now you've got Abbey Road in your back pocket.
3: Yes. And I started to on, Let It Be, yeah. And, th-
2: and then you did let, let It Be, which was already done, right?
3: Yeah. Get Back. It was called Get Back at the time.
2: Get Back at the time, yeah.
3: You get the complete package, of, um, which is worth a fortune now, I'm told, you know, with a box with the book in it. And the record, well, the you know, the album says that it be, but the books says get back because it's printed way ahead of the uh, press.
2: Now you've got these these two golden tickets in your back pocket, but you went on to work with the Beatles um, as they went and did some of their solo ventures. You did "War Is Over" with John and Yoko.
3: Yes, right. That was went around the world. That, turned, that was supposed to be a Christmas card. It started out. Uh, yeah, I know. Yoko. And um it just snowballed and we did a poem. you know, I think we did the biggest billboard on Times Square at the time. I mean the are colossally ten times bigger now, um yeah, so every city major city in the world had a war is over a poster in whatever language. It was a typographical nightmare for me, but I managed to keep that minimalist kind of black and white look, you know?
2: That must have been very interesting to see all the press coverage at that time.
3: Yeah. It was amazing, actually. I was taking place in Amsterdam, Toronto, Montreal, and, you know, I'm flying the boat.
2: Did you feel like it made a difference?
3: No, yeah, I don't think so now. Look at it, what's going on now. I mean, it did for a while, I think, you know, but it came out of the summer and then I thought, well, then it have got a bit sticky with the ultimate disaster in the stones. Maybe this will work, you know. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, it's still, it's still a big movement. You know, Yoko's, know, 90th birthday, 80th, I she's... Yeah, she's 90. And, um, she's still promoting it all, and I hope it eventually works. I mean, if I had a penny for every War Is Over t-shirt, I mean, I'd be in the behind. It. No kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think about that, and I've seen some really, you know, iconic images of that um, War Is Over uh, the billboards all throughout the world, and there was a big one on Sunset as well. Yeah, I think.
3: It was the other has- one with a black background with white tie.
2: Ah, that was the only it one. Was black, yeah.
3: And I think the problem was that I sent out a tissue with a negative, and I thought that's how it should look, which is fine. It looks great.
2: It, it did. It looked really, I mean, I loved yeah, it. it,
3: it the Independent Marlboro it was. man, if you remember him. You remember?
2: Yes, I did see in the in the picture itself. Right. I, you're facing west. I think it's just west of Crescent Heights. That's right. And it's looking out over everything. You've got Chateau Marmont. You see the... Uh, the, you know,
3: the, the little Volkswagen down there. The, uh,
2: yes, yes. It's such an iconic picture.
3: It's the Mulberman, Man. Actually, the real Mulberman was a and He was a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Which was a here for so I knew him in London very well. Um, and he was the Mulberman. Man. He was very gay, but very mulberry. And there you're standing up there, you know, all 20 feet of it.
2: <laughs> I mean, next to your work, what a trip that must be!
3: That was fabulous, yeah.
2: <laughs> hey guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Okay, guys, let's get back to the interview. I want to go back because there's one album I want to touch on that I know caused a bit of controversy. Another British band, The Who, still touring.
3: Yep. Yes. How many left? I don't know.
2: (laughs) But they're still out there. They're still doing their thing like the Stones are.
3: Yeah, right. Amazing. Give it (laughs) a (laughs) rest.
2: You know what, though? They're still An audience for them.
3: Yeah, the sales are, you know, magnificent.
2: Everybody wants to be able to see these bands while they can still perform. And and I'm one of them too, but
3: well the music's great, you've got to admit. You know, the Stones Concert is always an event. You know, I mean, you've got some the opening bands and the actual act itself. I mean, Nick Hunt says a word, you know, like Hello Los Angeles, and they go, you've got like 10, 12 songs, one, bang, two, three. And, uh, you know, you see out of
2: exhausted. <laughs> you do. But, you know, it's interesting because, and I want, I'll jump back to The Who in a second, but I saw, I've seen the Stones in L.A. a number of times. And most recently, I went to Texas to see them, in Austin, Texas. It was their last big, like, stadium-type show, you know, that size, um, of that tour. And when you go to a show in L.A., I mean, you know, you get the diehard fans, but then you get everybody that's all glammed up. You think that they're, you know, going to some sort of award show. Um, But when I went to the show in Texas, these were diehard fans. You parked a mile away and all you saw were these pickup trucks full of people and they're they're flying stones flags. They're all wearing stones T-shirts. They jump out of the truck and they run to the gate the energy was different um, in a beautiful way. You know, these were real, real fans that Mm -hmm. trekked out there from all over the state to see them. Right, And it's just, it was a different feel than LA. Not better or worse, just different. So it's a testament to them.
3: That's true. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoyed working with them too. They were 100% professional band. Yeah, there was, you know, I did two sessions with them. And they all turned up on time. Well, cha- no, everyone turned up on time except for Keith. <laughs> Which, he's so charming and apologized. So you adi- forget. <laughs> but they were gentlemen, you know.
2: And get your yayas out, you know, that it's got Charlie on the cover. Yeah. What was, because I know some bands want to work very closely with you on the cover art and some maybe give you creative control. Right. What was the story behind that?
3: Well, it went, it went uh, south, actually, um, or sideways, I think is the kind of expression. What happened was I um, the original concept, which made it approved, was his Uncle Tom hat, striking, um, you know, Sand hat, sorry. Uncle Sam hat. And it was an American hamburger on top, because in, in, in Britain, um, the American hamburger thing had taken over. There was all these dreadful whippets and whatever. It was, it sort of, chains were serving, uh, and all of a sudden it became very fashionable to be on Chelsea and uh, Kings Road and um, get the great American hamburger store, right? You know. And so I thought, okay, he's so on tour in America. He's wearing this, you know, Uncle hat. I'll put a hamburger on Tom. Just use that image, and we had to catch up on it and ask him and whatever else, and, um, and what, what happened was that the, the ketchup was dripping out and going down the, the side of the hat, And someone, I think probably someone in a Records, I don't know, suddenly said, No, we can't have this because of the ultimate disaster. Oh. And so that cover I was I was in, on a holiday in, in the beat at the time. That got pulled. And Nick apparently said, as far as I can tell, he yeah, use this and take this picture of Charlie. It was a David Bailey picture, then. David Bailey, a very famous photographer at the time. He's pissed off. I'm pissed off. Everything else is the same. The like, psychography, oh, the border, the back cupboard, the here the sleeve. everything else is the same except Charlie. Charlie's the of gas.
2: <laughs> yeah, he must have loved it.
3: <laughs> his T-shirt with breasts on it. I don't know if you've seen that one. The original one, he was wearing the T-shirt with breasts. But I think now in the latest release, it's back again.
2: <laughs> I, I didn't even think about any sensitivity around Altamont.
3: Yeah. yeah it, was, that was, it was a disaster. So, I mean, had I been in London, I would have taken over.
2: All right. I always wondered about that. I I, I thought that was such an interesting album cover compared to all the other ones, you know, that, that they've done.
3: All the live albums, it's way up there.
2: What about who's next?
3: Uh, what do you want to know about who's
2: next? Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't want to dive into it. But I remember the first time I saw that album cover and I'm like, that's not that's not urine on this side. <laughs> There's no way.
3: Well, it was urine except for Roger Dolce's because he couldn't pee and that was a cup full of water. <laughs> oh.
2: Who came up with this idea?
3: Nobody. Um, I don't know how it evolved. You know, it's one of those sort of serendipitous things that just occurs, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, was on move. I, I didn't, I wasn't there when the actual shot was taken. I was moving on because i was going to set up a, a shoot for the Keith Moon. And so I'd left the band and he's in Russell. Well, my contribution was the, you know, the typography and I didn't like the sky. So I cut in the new sky and, you know, tidied up the band. 'Cause they were looking a little kind of, warm. <laughs> They were not they're not looking
2: like, they've been indulging.
3: Yeah.
2: And so that's what happened. So they were all indulging and they just used the
3: it's basic it's basic sort of humanity, isn't it? You know, there's a place that's do that. It was like, these were roadblocks set up for a uh, forthcoming motorway. It was going to go from London to Wales and they hadn't finished building it.
2: And what did the label say?
3: Uh, the label was fine with it, actually, yeah. But I, when I had that in my portfolio, the first time I came to the States looking for work, and, you know, uh, I think Neil Bogart and Casablanca Records threw me out because he thought it was obscene. <laughs> really? This is 1977.
2: Okay, and so I- you mentioned it. Now you you had these these big tickets in your back pocket, you know your, your work with the the Who and your, the work with um, the Beatles, and you made out you made your way out to California. I'm assuming because everybody else made their way
3: out to California. Well, well, Stuart Stewart was over here coming over. And in fact, that's why we did Atlantic crossing together. Um, and Ringo had already come, you know. Um, and I, I thought, well, you know, let's try it because, you know, I mean, having been to LA, it's paradise, palm trees, sunshine, you know, like it used to
2: be. Like it used to be, <laughs> not now.
3: <laughs> yeah, flashing against the window. Um, so, um, yeah, um, but it wasn't easy breaking in because there were certain clicks in here that, um, uh, I was resented by the record labels because they had their articles and whatever else. Um, I decided that if I'm not going to get any work from the labels, I better go with the manager. And so knowing Peter Ashton, who was you know managing Linda Ronson and James from Apple days, because he was managing James, you know, Right. One. Right. It never, it never did anything. Um so I went to Peter and because Peter said, Well, you know, let's meet Linda because Linda and I just got on like house um, and that led to James, and then that led to Irving Hazel, who gave me the years. And from that point on, it was just like uh, you know, I had to I had to expand my offices.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack there because I know you have a longstanding friendship and work relationship with Linda Ronstadt. You won three Grammys with her.
3: So we did, yes.
2: A- are you still in touch with her today?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. I phone her occasionally. Sometimes she phones back. You text a
2: lot. You text a lot. That's great. Because you did, I mean, I know you did a number of albums, but the Grammy-winning albums were um, Lush Life, Get Closer, and Simple Dreams. And Simple Dreams, I know, was in the bathroom of the pantagious Am I right?
3: Yes. All those mirrors.
2: Yes, that beautiful Art Deco yes. bathroom. I mean, it's a, it, was
3: a, it, was a, it was awful. <laughs> a light, because there's reflections everywhere. Which means you can see the camera and you can see me holding up the black pulse. The only one wanted was Linda and her reflection a couple of times that wrapped around the bank. And so we set it up and it took a couple of days to set up get it to work. With Jim you most fabulous photography work. Um, and still became a dear friend. Um, and then we sort of, you know, experimented with getting the grain structure right so it had that sort of nice, soft, pastel look And you know.
2: It was beautiful.
3: Yeah, and I just knew, I was, I was building the ground and I knew, this, you know, the typography is absolutely solid. It's, it's, it's very pretty. Like it. Very happy.
2: It is be- yeah, it really is. And it just represents Linda so
3: well. Yes, it does, particularly at that time, because later on she goes and she wanted to be a little harder and tougher, and that's why we did Mad Love, where she's looking black and white, and she's in a phone booth, yeah. And I gave her a pile of porters, and she called Jerry Brown the gun of California. Or well, rather, Pete, um, yeah, Peter Howard's actually photographed him. He was a, a war correspondent who came in to do the job, so why did that click? No, no, urgency. <laughs>
2: So she's on the phone with Governor Jerry Brown when she's uh, looking up at you or look, looking up at the photographer.
3: Yeah, Oh wherever. we got, we got some beautiful pictures. She looks gorgeous, but it's also that hard look they wanted, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Kind of had that very 80s feel, yeah, feel to it.
3: No, it's just a change of focus, you know.
2: And you did Hasten Down the Wind as well?
3: Yes, that's a lovely page there.
2: That's one of my favourites. Linda took some beautiful, beautiful. F- I mean, she's a beautiful woman.
3: Yes, totally.
2: But I mean, aside from um, what was it—the uh, cover with the pigs—everything well, else has been.
3: <laughs> I did not the cover with pigs.
2: <laughs> that was, to me, a little bit of a miss. But um, otherwise, all her album covers. Pretty
3: <laughs> good. I came in a prisoner of disguise, which was. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we didn't hasten down the wind, and I got into a lot of trouble because you could see her nipples through the. Uh, and I was actually having trouble with one of her hands because it looked a like a claw. So I actually photographed my wife's hand and put it. And so that's my wife's hand on Linda as she's walking around. But while I'm doing this, I missed the nipples a bit, and that's where I got into big trouble because we're selling sex and not music. You know. Today means nothing, but you know.
2: I know. That's it went through again, approved by the label, approved by Linda.
3: The best Organization of Women decided they didn't like it and called me directly. Yes. Unapologetic. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
2: That was 1976, right?
3: Yeah, six or seven, yeah, I
2: think. Yeah. Cause that was a big year for you. You produced or you put together a number of iconic album covers. Hazen Down the Wind. Yes. Um you also did her greatest hits, and then you did ELO's New World Record. All right. And then you also did Hotel California that year. Seventy
3: six was Hotel California, yeah.
2: I live very close to there, and I walk by the Beverly Hills Hotel all the time, and I walk by Will Rogers Memorial Park where you shot it. And I'd love to know why there.
3: Wait, when, when Will Rogers Memorial Park. I mean, I just remember shooting the hotel.
2: So across the street
3: oh, is. is that, oh, is yeah. That, oh, I because when you say Will Rogers, I keep thinking it's like Pacific Coast Highway. Oh, yeah, there's there's I'm, I'm Will that, Rogers. Um, very there. Okay, that's
2: Yes, yes. I ima- At least I imagine that's where you put it. You put it across the street, right? Because you were able to get up high.
3: And we had to keep feeding the meter. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> that was it. That was Will Rogers Memorial Park right there.
3: Oh, I see that place. It's got, it's got a little public laboratory in the middle of it or something.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. So, but why the Beverly Hills Hotel?
3: Well, because what we did, we, we scouted. David Alexander, the photographer and I, scouted. Um, we, we, we went to the Green Hotel, I think it was, in Pasadena. Beautiful. Then we found a sort of cross-season somewhere out. I don't know where it was. And then we we came back to the to the Beverly Hills Hotel and thought, well, we had to come back because we can't get a good shot. Got the cherry picker, and it's just as the sun was going down, and we get shooting. And we up there the two of us, David and I. And the, uh, the oh, another famous friend of mine, Aaron Rappaport, was the assistant at the time, and he was down below.
2: Oh my goodness.
3: So I mean now Aaron you know, already been uh, great photographer. So, so what would happen is because um I come down so David could use me as a tripod to shoot. He'd run out of film and while he's reloading, okay, he'd come down and I shoot. So I'm not we're not quite sure who actually took the, the, the precise stand. Um, but it doesn't matter because David set the whole thing up and David gets the credit, so he deserves it too. And he did, of course, the interior shop and the bank shop. Um, but in those days, you know, we had all these pictures and we blew them up to the size, you know, four-foot square, five-foot square, and just walked in and the bank was sitting there, you know, and just laid them out. You know, and he went, well, that's it. Right. Couldn't get away from it, you have know, the sunset, and whatever else.
2: But had you put the effects on it at that point, or were they just looking at the photograph it's, itself? Because it almost looks drawn at this point, you know?
3: The, the Hotel California lettering on it or anything like that, which I had drawn and then re photographed to make it look like it was part of the photograph with the same grain structure and all that. That wasn't there. But I had worked on the blue lights a little bit, and, you know, nothing, we cheated the time. <laughs>
2: So unanimously, the band sat down and they said, this is it.
3: Yeah. And there's no, you know, because I listened to the Hotel California soundtrack and I knew mm-hmm. that one was going to be here. There's so no doubt. It's going to be yeah. a massive, massive single. Um, so we needed a massive, massive cover. So that's why I walked into something big. They wouldn't see little things like this or look through a loop and a light box. Or you can project them on the wall, but I decided to make you know, table-sized prints. You can't get away from them.
2: And then you went with the Lido apartments.
3: Yes, right. Yep. So I don't know what it is now. But it's,
2: yeah, I don't even know. I, I wonder if they're still around. I, I feel like I've seen the yeah. building. I mean,
3: them, but I don't know whether it's occupied. Oh, no.
2: And where did you even find that? Is so random because it was probably
3: some dilapidated building at the time. set in a sound stage which yeah um and we were spending an awful lot of money that's the most expensive cover we've ever done. Yeah. yeah. That came in the forty grand, so you can imagine what that would be in today's money. Oh yeah, quite a bit. But yeah, so we decided to scout and, um you know real hotels wouldn't let us do it or they you know disruptive. Um, so someone gave us a lead to this place and we walked in and thought, well we can decorate this. You know, Mm-hmm. and you did mm-hmm. and
2: it became another photo that evoked a lot of you know um rumors and-
3: oh, yeah, yeah we, there's rastafarian in the corner mm-hmm. from, couldn't find him to get him to sign the release so he just was now become a friendly spirit you know <laughs> there's so many I remember
2: now. what's interesting is that um I I teach um, California rock history for Bradley university and my students had to do a review of a lot of the iconic albums of the time period that we cover. And one of my students had hotel California. He was peppering me with questions about the cover. (laughs) He was like, who is this person? And then I read, there's like some sort of head of the satanic church or something that's involved. (laughs) And I'm like, I, I you know, I don't know.
3: <laughs> it never happened. With serendipitous and it didn't affect but really
2: <laughs> There you go. There you go. It happened again. And I did hear, though, that the Beverly Hills Hotel took issue with
3: it. Oh, yeah. They were pissed off. Because, um, but they didn't stand a chance because Irving Azor, the band's manager, pointed out that their subscription, what do you call it? Their, their um the people who came to stay had multiplied almost like three times.
2: The hotel bookings.
3: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the hotel bookings have tripled. I may be exaggerating, but the point is they make more money out of it than the that they just kept quiet, know.
2: <laughs> and that was it. They kept quiet after that. That is such a great story. They They
3: find sue me. You know, I'm the art director, the creative director. So it's not like they go to me first because that's probably easier than going to the uh, going to Warner Brothers. Right? Sure. Sure. I just phoned early, amazing, immediately. You know, <laughs> <Yeah. it's, laughs> Help
2: me out of this.
3: It's, it's, it's God. it. God. They call him Satan, actually. But, yeah, it's, it's the great Satan. Yes. Do they really? I don't worry about it. I've not got anything bad to say about it. A lot of people apparently do. So.
2: Uh, well, no, I mean, he's, he's done an incredible job.
3: Yeah. No, he's, he stood up for me many times you know, when I wanted to do things.
2: I thought I saw um, Irving Azoff the other day when I was walking. Um, oh. And, you know, the minute I turned around, it was a double take. It's not somebody you expect to see on a residential street in Beverly Hills. And, uh, you know, just walking along. And I turned around and I thought, that was Irving Azov. And he'd already walked behind, uh, you know, the front door. he
3: has a keychain which he swings as he walks.
2: Oh, shoot. Next time, next time I'll look for that. I thought, oh, I would, if if I had known it was him, I would have kicked myself if I didn't say hello. I'll just keep walking by that house for the next, you know, however many days. so many moments. I mean, you know, I ask a lot of my guests based on the name itself, you know, my rock moment. Everybody that I talk to has a moment when they decided that they wanted to become a musician or that they wanted to manage bands or, you know, that they wanted to be a DJ or whatever it might be. Um, and I love hearing those moments that change them. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you had one like that. You know, where you decided this is it. This is what I want to do.
3: Uh, well, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was evolving. I think. But what, what happened was that um, I was working for the British Printing Corporation, um, and I ran off to get married and the day on New Year's Day, and the day after in, in Wales, and the day I returned to London, which was the day after, I found I'd been fired. But I was working at the time, also working on a magazine for the Royal Opera. With the honourable Kensington Davidson, who said, Well, okay, you're fine, why don't you come and work with me? So all of a sudden I'm at the opera house thinking, Oh my god, I'm now listening to this, I'm going to rehearsals, I'm seeing music, I'm listening to Mozart, <laughs> you know, things totally changed. But they do something like this. And then, you know, that led to art and artists are now involved in art, you know, thinking you know, I think, well, where am I going? is like getting crazy and then of course i'm into rock and roll i thought this is the moment i stay, <laughs> and that's it yeah and then in that next big moment well let's go to california that's you know that's another moment she like well that was a good let's stay yeah
2: <laughs> what year was that you said 71
3: and 73 the end of 73 so
2: yeah and that was it you never looked back you never went back to London.
3: I became a citizen in eighty something or other. you know, So
2: yeah,
3: I'm an American and I love it. Yeah, I love LA too. You know, the music here was great. I mean, I know sounds sort of suffering was prevalent, but I mean, there was even the jazz scene was going on, the blues scene was going on. Sure. And so I was just happy to be here. That was my wife. Seventy
2: three. That was also the start of John Lennon's. Um last weekend. Did yeah. you connect with him at all while you were
3: yeah, out here? He was a friend of ours. He actually used to stay at our house in London. Yeah, so, so we sort of got most of the skinny about the whole thing. Seems was wow. heartbroken when he left to go back to Yoko. That's I spoke a couple of weeks ago. Yeah.
2: There's a documentary coming yeah, out. So,
3: no, I haven't seen I've seen the print
2: It should be an interesting one.
3: So, yeah. Oops.
2: Kosh, thank you so much for coming on.
3: Oh, no, you're welcome. I enjoyed every moment. Thank you.
2: I mean, look, I've been looking at your artwork ever since I was, uh, you know, I, I was had a coherent That's thought, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so thank you for, you know, all your incredible work.
3: Absolutely. Thank you very much.
0: I've got to be- Oh yeah Oh yeah That's right I've got a feeling A feeling I can
2: All right, a big thank you to Kosh for coming on. I never knew that he was the design director behind so many album covers in my collection, which is pretty cool. There are so many stories we did not touch on, so I think we're probably going to have to have him back another day. Thanks for listening, everyone, and please be sure to rate, review, subscribe to My Rock Moment wherever you listen. And if you're on Instagram, follow me at LA Woman Rocks. We'll see you at the next episode.
1: achieve the american dream the big house the happy family the money what's your emergency would you put in the hours would you take a big swing what's the problem what's the problem would you lie would you cheat
3: would you shop would they shop
1: would you kill
3: yes <laughs> i was
1: my is right there from airship